Welcome to the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. Today, we're going to talk about stress. Stress. The good, the bad, the ugly of stress. Everything about stress. So let's start with what is it? When we say the word stress, what do we mean? That's a term that gets tossed around a lot. Technically, it's any disruption to the homeostasis of your physical or mental state. So like homeostasis is your balance. Right. So when everything's just like operating and balanced and everything's good, anything that's a perturbation from that baseline is is considered a stressful event in the body. Okay. Not all stress is bad. Right. We tend to toss that term around like like it's exclusively negative. Like we're always trying to like reduce stress, eliminate stress. But some is helpful. Some's even necessary. Mm -hmm. I think of the analogy of like when they tried to grow trees in a biodome that had, they were never exposed to any wind. Mm -hmm. The trees didn't grow strong enough and they just fell over. So it's sort of like humans are a little bit the same. You kind of have to be exposed to some stresses or, you know, something that's not an ideal condition for you to grow and adapt and be a stronger, better, more robust. So you don't just fall over. So you don't just fall over. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not just a big useless watery bag of meat that just tips over basically with a gust of wind (laughs) a gust of wind knocks you (laughs) over so adapting be like being exposed to something like negative stressful introduces this concept of what's called hormesis so it's exposing yourself to low doses of something stressful intermittently right with periods to adapt in between so that you can repair and grow and get stronger and more robust so that the next time you face that stress you're like better prepared to handle it right so a hormetic response is a positive thing that you get out of being exposed to like a a negative thing if you want to think of it that way right so it's the key there is not the stress itself it's recovering from it Mm -hmm. afterwards yeah so there has to be an allowable period of of adaptation Mm -hmm. to get ready to handle it better next time right yeah so from an evolutionary perspective, what are some of the stresses we like our ancestors would have always been exposed to? Like the main one probably would have been like fight or flight, right? So physical activity. Physical, that moment where you're either hunting and you see a prey or something bad happens and you have to react to it quickly. You are the prey. You are the prey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn saber-toothed tigers. Yeah. So intense physical activity. Right. Right. There would have always been that as part of our lives. And like CrossFit, we like to use the term unknown and unknowable. It's like you wouldn't have really known when mm-hmm. it was going to come at you. So that always having good situational awareness and being ready, like at the drop of a hat to right. fight or flight. So that's the like the surge of adrenaline and the like instant like, oh shit, got to do something. Yeah. Intensity. Yeah. And then temp- variations in temperature. Temperature, yeah. We would have been exposed to huge variations in hot and cold. Yeah. And that's like seasonally and even day to day. Yeah. Or like throughout the day. Yeah. Right. Like people that lived outside, it would often be roasting hot during the day and then freezing cold during the night. Mm-hmm. And then seasonally as well, there was warm seasons and cold seasons where it was more consistent, but mm-hmm. there was always those fluctuations. Yeah, for sure. Obviously variations in food availability. Yeah. Our ancestors would have been forced to go through periods of, we call it fasting now. Mm-hmm. They would have just called it, oh shit, we don't have any food today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, huge variations in food availability. Right. The hunt goes well and there's an abundance of food and it's like feast time followed by famine or fasting time. So there are huge variations in, in food availability. Yeah. And again, changes throughout the day and throughout the seasons. Yeah. 
Right. Lots of variation. And then one of your favorites. One of my favorites. Problem solving. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. there would have been a lot of <laughs> problem solving involved yeah. in surviving in the ancient world. Right? Yes. So that's sort of a, a brain-related type of stress, right? That's like something that's frustrating and mm-hmm. takes a lot of like maybe multiple efforts and trying and failing to like solve a problem. Yeah. Um, but then it obviously comes with like the satisfaction of solving it when you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about... Uh, me and David Crown the other day were talking about our jobs and how like whenever I do a project, you always hope it's going to go smooth, but it never does. And my favorite part about doing projects is when I do come across those problems, as much as they're stressful and frustrating and like they completely ruin your time allotted to the, the task, it's so satisfying to be able to like come up with a solution and make it work and like Jimmy rig it or whatever, you know, I was telling David is like, I want to like figure out a way to Jimmy rig this without burning my house. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something very satisfying about solving a problem. Yeah, for sure. And then stresses that we have no evolutionary adaptation to the big one is sleep deprivation, right? Humans are the only weird little animals on earth that purposely deprive ourselves of sleep. No other animal does that. It's not even clear why humans are doing that to ourselves now, but certainly one of the major stresses we have in the modern world that we are completely unprepared for is not sleeping an adequate amount. And then, yeah, a big one in the modern world is social isolation. Yeah. So humans are (laughs) weak, hairless, naked, vulnerable little primates. We're not big. We're not strong. We're not ferocious. We don't have teeth and claws and all these kinds of scary things. So by ourselves... Humans basically can't survive alone. We're intensely social animals um, to the point that like excommunication from the tribe meant basically certain death. So social isolation was immediately selected out from the gene pool because anybody that wasn't part of part of the tribe would have just died. You couldn't you can't survive as a single human being. So that's why we're very aware of of our relationship and interactions with other people and our communities and our tribes and our position in the social hierarchy and sort of we're constantly aware mm-hmm. of of like how we fit in and that's like a a big source of of stress and paranoia but but it comes from we have to fit in somewhere or from an evolutionary perspective we would never have never have made it it's why uh, solitary confinement in uh, both war and prisoners and stuff is considered like psychological torture right because it's so incredibly stressful for a human being to be alone yeah that like you can die from it Mm -hmm. in older people loneliness is a greater predictor of mortality than smoking so it's like literally more harmful to your health Hmm. being by yourself so and that's a big problem yeah this day and age in the last couple years of covid and lots of isolation i think a lot of people had maybe the first time to go like oh wow it is like yeah psychologically treacherous Mm -hmm. to be too isolated from our people. Yeah. I remember <laughs> right. reading stories of people who like really locked down hard. And mm-hmm. one guy was saying, he's like, I haven't physically touched another human. And like, it was, I don't remember if it was six months or a year or whatever, but it was like really like a weird thing to think about. Like mm-hmm. not even physically, like no physical contact for a whole year. Like that would be insane. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that. So we would think of loneliness as being an emotional experience. I think like people mm-hmm. would think of that as like a psychological thing, but it has physiological effects, which I I think is super interesting. So when you're around more people, other human beings, it upregulates your immune system, which makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because the more people you're around, the more potential like pathogens or, you know, germs or things you're going to exchange with other people. So you need an upregulation 
of your immune system. When you're alone or isolated, your immune system is also tremendously energy intensive. It, mm-hmm. it consumes a lot of, of the calories, the energy needs of your body. So if you're alone, one of the first survival mechanisms that your body triggers is a lowering of your immune function. Because right. it kind of goes like, okay, we're by ourselves. Hunting and gathering is going to be extremely difficult alone. We're going to have probably less energy coming in. The first thing that gets ditched is immune function, right? which is interesting is sort of like the COVID isolation related stuff is that we need to be around people to have a stronger immune system. But then, like I was saying, older people, that their mortality is higher. The more socially isolated you are, the more you die of cancer Mm -hmm. because your immune system isn't doing a good job of, of surveying for like senescent cells and junk cells that need to get cleared out. So the interaction of your of your social life and your immune system, I think is super, super fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, and it, it makes sense, right? So if you're around less people, you're going to be exposed to less, path- less pathogens. So in the immediate sense, yeah. you're like, okay, we don't need this today. We need to survive today and tomorrow and three days from now. But the long-term effect of that on your overall health is like mm-hmm. very, very detrimental. Yeah. Yeah, so for immune functions, go go hug a bro. <laughs> go hug a bro. <laughs> And playing the dirt too. That's yeah. always the thing, right? Where kids, they're like, yeah. wash your hands and hand sanitize and all this stuff. It's like, no, like play in the dirt and yeah. get some immune system built up. Yeah, that's, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on sort of like your microbiome mm-hmm. and the importance of like a healthy bacterial balance on your skin and in your guts and all kinds of things. Yeah. Hug a dirty friend. <laughs> Two birds with one stone. Yeah. <laughs> I just gotta leave that. I was gonna say something <laughs> else. I had to leave that alone. Okay. So in the modern, so there's all different types of stress. I guess is is the conclusion of that. Of what yeah. we're talking about the modern world, we kind of have everything flip flopped upside down. Mm-hmm. We have too much of the bad types of stress, and yeah. we're missing the good hormetic response kinds of stresses that would make us be better, more capable human beings. Mm-hmm. And I can speak to this. Like I'm a stressful person. And you are not a stressful person. <laughs> That's true. We've talked about in the past about like our airport fiascos <laughs> where I'm like just fucking stewing because we're, you know, running close to when the airplane's going to take off and you're just like, la da like not a care in the world. And I'm just like stressed in nines. <laughs> okay. Can we take a little, a few people have heard me tell this story before of you and I in the early days, I'm going to go off course and tell the story here. So early on when we were dating, the first few trips that we took together, I was like, why is David so stressed out? Jesus Christ, what is this guy's problem? (laughs) To the point that I was like, we are going to travel separately to go places. I'm going to take a different flight from you. And Mm -hmm. like, it finally came out that the way I like to operate is I don't like to show up early for things. I like to just show up and I like to go through security and I like to walk right on the plane. If I have time to sit down, I feel like I failed. I have, I don't like extra time. Yeah. But that's just how I've always operated. It's not stressful to me. I've never once missed a flight in my life. It's just I show up, you know, with minimal buffer time. Put They're it that calling way. your name. As, but, yeah, I've had my name called. It's like they'll call it a few <laughs> times before they actually don't let you get on the plane. And I realized that you are the opposite. I you like opposite. to be early and you hate not having buffer time and it super stresses you out. But yeah. early on when we were dating, you were like too polite to tell me that. And you were just internally trying not to freak out. My cortisol levels are just through the roof. And I'm all like, David said, la la la, like what's going on? Everything's fine. Like, whatever. Uh, so yes, I always tell people in new relationships or like when they're going to get married, I was like, you need to figure out your viewpoints on time. 
because that's an important yeah. uh, contentious point. I remember they would be like, final boarding call for flight, whatever we were on. And you're like, like oh, okay, okay, I'm just going to go get my water filled up. I'll be like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> like, the plane's leaving. Filling your water bottle. The 15 years later, the conclusion of that story is David has talked me into showing up at the airport earlier. So fine. Yes. Was, and that, a little bit of buffer time. A little more buffer time. It goes better for all of us. Yeah. David doesn't want to have steam coming out of his ears trying to handle it. So. Yes, we all handle stress differently. <laughs> David and I are a good example of, I'm pretty, I mean, I get worked up about things sometimes, but mm -hmm. I'm generally not a super stressed out person, yeah. and you definitely are. I definitely, like, my I thought cycle on stupid things that I don't need to. Like, yeah. I'll be cleaning the house and realize that I'm reliving an argument that I had with a customer when I was like managing a restaurant like 15 years ago <laughs> and stopping myself and be like, why am I thinking about this? Like th that happened forever ago and there's nothing I can do about it. Like I need to, I need to shut up and let that go. Yeah. But I just, I don't even realize it's happening until I'm like deep into it. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing. And so I think we were talking about this earlier, people that are prone to like anxiety, if we want to yeah. call it that, like more like anxious thought patterns. And you've noticed caffeine yeah. is a big thing you have to be careful with. Yeah, for sure. Caffeine greatly enhances my anxiety. And it also, like, it not only enhance, increases my anxiety, but it also affects my sleep patterns and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have, like, I have one coffee in the morning because, like, it's kind of a balance, right? I know that caffeine's not great for me, but I really enjoy the ritual of having a coffee. And it's part of, like, it's also part of my, like, daily routine and happiness. So I kind of, like know that I just have to be aware. And sometimes if I, I feel myself getting easily agitated, I know it's just better if I have some food or something with it, but I definitely can't have more than one and it has to be done before noon or it'll start to negatively affect my, my sleep patterns. Yeah. Okay. So you're already kind of touching on it. Let's talk about like physiologically what's happening when we're getting stressed out. Yeah. So stress, the way we typically use that word is an activation of the sympathetic nervous system, one of the two branches of your autonomic nervous system that is your fight or flight response. So from an evolutionary sort of genetic perspective, your body senses something stressful is going to happen that almost always meant something physically stressful was going to happen, which is why we call it fight or flight. You're going to have to do something physically demanding. Right. So the physiological effects are a narrowing of your visual field. So mm -hmm. it narrows your focus, your ability to concentrate directly on one thing. It elevates your heart rate. It causes vasoconstriction, which increases your blood pressure. So like sort of the rate at which your blood is flowing around the body and the pressure with, with how it's doing that signals your liver to spit out some glucose. So your blood sugar will go up independent of eating, mm -hmm. which in the glucose group that I ran in March, several people noted that, that under like emotionally stressful conditions, like you know, getting the kids ready to get out the door in the morning mm. or whatever causes a blood glucose spike, even when you haven't eaten anything. So that's yeah. coming from your liver and all those things make sense. There's yeah. nothing, if, if you had to fight or flight, that is exactly what you would want to have happen. Elevated heart rate, more fuel available, um, vasoconstriction and f focus your visual field. If that, is, if you're in that state all the time, mm. right? So that's going to save you in the moment. It's going to get you out of the life threatening situation that, that minute. But if you stayed like that all the time, well, obviously those things are long-term net detrimental. You have high blood pressure and high glucose and damage to the endothelial, the lining of your blood vessels and all that kind of stuff. So things that are adaptive in the short term are maladaptive right. in the long term. 
So when you have an activation of your sympathetic nervous system and you get yourself into the fight or flight state, mm-hmm. you need to have some strategies to get out of it. Right. <laughs> right. You were kind of touching on like when you recognize that it's happening and you're in this thought loop and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. This is where exercise is yeah. so important. And the, like the modern person has too much of the chronic stress and not enough of the like mm-hmm. beneficial stress. So they're, they're sort of trading yeah. the good for the bad. So like recognizing that the, the physical situation that your body triggered is preparing you for physical activity. Right. You need to like, let that play out. You need to, I always think of it as like, there's sort of this dump of glucose and hormones and stuff in your bloodstream. You need to let that discharge mm-hmm. in the way that your body was prepared for, which is do something physically active. Right. So you're stressing about your girlfriend from high school, (laughs) go for a walk, (laughs) go go do some squats or something like that. And I mean, where we see that play out the most is in first responders that have tremendously stressful jobs Mm -hmm. and the research that's coming out on the importance of physical activity for first responders for their mental health and physical health. And I mean, my big soapbox thing is that mental health is not separate from physical health. Your brain exists in your body. It's an organ in your body. It's weird that we even think of those as two separate things. Yeah. Um, But part of caring for your emotional health is caring for your physical health. And I think with first responders, like the good thing is, is generally in those high stress moments, they are physically doing something. They are like helping somebody or like fighting a bad guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then there's the after effects, right? The like, you know, mental side of calming yourself down and like, being like, okay, like Mm -hmm. that was a thing and that was real and that was pretty stressful. And, you know, even though you're doing some physical activity, you still need to like de-stress afterwards. Yeah. So then aside from sort of discharging all those chemicals and glucose and everything, then we get into like, you're trying to activate the opposite, which is your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest, which most people recommend meditating, some kind of meditative practice. Yeah. Not everyone can meditate or finds that helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of one of them. I mean, I realize that meditating is good for you. I don't do it. But yeah. I'll be honest. I've tried meditating. I, I, I gave it like a good couple of months of following a program and with meditation, it seems like it's, it's all about like learning to let go of your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Where, where you're, you're thinking of a like calming breeze or you're focusing on your breathing or you're thinking of a tree and they're kind of like, like guided meditation. They're, they're really like trying to distract you from, the like the thought, thought pattern yeah. yeah, that's going on in your head. And I think that's great. And if that works for people, awesome. But I think another way of doing it is allow, like giving yourself some like quiet contemplation time mm-hmm. and basically analyzing what you're thinking, right? So if you're going down this thought loop, like I was when I'm cleaning the house or whatever, and you can be like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I, why am I stressing about this? Like, why am I thinking about this? And you can be like, this isn't serving me well. I can let this go. Right. Yeah. And you just acknowledge it and try to like move forward. And then same thing with your next thought, right? If you're, if you're thinking about something and you're like thought looping on it and you just have to like stop and be like, okay, like this is something worth like diving into. And I'm going to like really just spend some time analyzing this. And like, you know, maybe you think about the worst case scenario if that thing was to happen and you analyze like what, how bad could it be? And that'll hopefully allow you to sort of like, you know, relax a little bit about it and, and sort of come to terms with, you know, possibilities that it's not a real, not a real concern or um, it's not serving you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for like, you're supposed to have negative emotions. I don't, I don't think it's normal to always just like run away, clear your mind, push that out of your head. It's like, 
and this is something we try to instill with our kids, mostly with Atlas, because he's the older one. Yeah, if you're feeling bad about something, you're feeling maybe guilty or upset or bothered by something, it's like you don't, the solution isn't just don't feel that way. Yeah. It's go all the way through. This is what we always tell them. Go all the way through the feelings. Mm -hmm. Don't push them away and ignore them and turn your back on them. Go all the way through the feelings and figure out why they're there. Maybe you're ruminating on a conversation you had with a coworker and it didn't go well or something. And you're like, you're feeling bad about it in one way. Maybe you said something that you shouldn't have and you feel like a little bit of guilt or shame. You should feel that and then let it spur the action of maybe you need to go apologize to someone. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they said something and in the moment you didn't stand up for yourself and you're feeling continually bothered by that. And instead of letting it fester, maybe you need to go address it and just say, hey, I was really bothered or upset by the way you said this. Can we can we work that out? Like, right. you know, not all bad feelings are to be yeah. ignored or suppressed. Absolutely. Go all the way through them. Something that's super helpful in getting out of the fight or flight is just breathing exercises. So mm-hmm. even if you're not a, a meditating type person, literally changing the way you're breathing will cause physiological changes in your body that are sort of the opposite of those stress responses. So nasal breathing, mm-hmm. your nose or sinuses is the greatest reserve of something called nitric oxide in your body, which is your major vasodilator, which relaxes your blood vessels and lowers your blood pressure and allows your blood to flow more calmly. Right. So nasal breathing is super important. You can pay attention when you start to get into a panic or stress mode, you'll almost generally mouth breathe. Mm -hmm. So taking some time to sit quietly and take like 30 deep nose breaths can help get your body physiologically lowers your blood pressure, lowers your heart rate, gets you back into like a more calm state. There's something called box breathing that I really like, which is you take a four second inhale, you hold for four seconds, four second exhale, hold for four seconds. And so you breathe in this box pattern, four seconds in, out, in, out. Um, I do that at night mm-hmm. quite a bit while I'm laying in bed. I just find it like really calming and helps like knock me out to sleep right away. But you could do it at any point in your day when you're feeling like the stress levels are yeah. rising too high. So just some some good breathing exercises. Right. The, the mind needs time for quiet contemplation. Mm-hmm. So if the first quiet moment of your day is when your head hits the pillow at night and then people will be like, oh, my brain is just, I can't turn my brain off at night. Like I can't sleep. There's too many thoughts going on in my head. Well, then you need to schedule some time for some quiet contemplation somewhat at some other time in your day, Mm -hmm. not at night. Yeah. People, you know, meditating is one, but like people will find it very peaceful to like a quiet walk the dog around the neighborhood in the evening. Right. I knew someone that had a very first responder, very stressful job that enjoyed biking to and from work. And that sort of like peaceful transition from the stressful workplace, a little peaceful bike ride, no headphones, nothing else, just like, you know, quiet time on the bike. Or maybe you drive home from work and no music, no podcast, just some quiet time in your car. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, sitting and doing like cartoon style yogic ums. (laughs) You know, like you can find moments of quiet contemplation throughout your day. Yeah. And the key there is to... Like, let those thoughts go, but but not in a negative path, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't let them make you more anxious and, and more stressed out. You need to, like, address them and let them go or just, like, think it through and try to try yeah. to use it as a tool. If it seems like life is all bad, um, lots of people really find value in, like, a gratitude yeah. journaling or maybe it's just, like, a mental sort of checklist you go through. Mm-hmm. But just 
reminding yourself that not everything is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like whether that's a daily practice in the morning or the evening or like between work and home or, you know, mm-hmm. consciously reminding yourself of all of the, the good things that you're grateful for too. Yeah. Be really helpful. So in the modern world versus our like evolutionary ancient ancestor kind of thing, we, we have this like flip flop. So we said there's some kinds of stress that are good and adaptive and some stresses that are bad and very harmful and maladaptive. What we have now is too much of the maladaptive ones and yeah. not enough of the positive adaptive ones. So right. we're really heavy on what I like to call processed media. Yeah. In the same sense of we're too heavy on processed food. So we have this like media takes the place of real human connection, just like processed food takes the place of real whole foods from nearby kind of thing. And we were kind of talking about this earlier, that there's this interesting effect of like the news media really likes to go negative. Yeah. And so they've figured out how to push your buttons. Yeah. Super clickbaity. <laughs> clickbaity things that get you upset. Yeah. And outrage and getting you upset is what gets you to interact with it. Yeah. And they know that in the same way that combining sugar and processed vegetable oils is delicious and they know it's going to get you to eat more. They're going to get you to engage with it, even though it's completely against your own self-interest. Yeah. So the news media tends to be super negative. Yeah. Convinces you that, oh my God, the world is ending and it's war and it's, you know, people are dying and it's disease and ah, and everything is the worst. Mm -hmm. When actually, if you look at the stats, we live in the most peaceful times ever for humanity and like, yeah. Not that there aren't things going wrong, but For sure. versus history, things are the basically the best they've ever been. Yeah. Um, and then social media tends to be falsely positive. Yeah. Because everybody just posts their highlight reel and they're filtered, whatever. And yeah. So if you engage in too much media, the news, <laughs> and I heard it called um, the uh, conservative cinematic universe of like sort of the Fox news where it's like, that's not real. Like yeah. it's, it's like a cinematic universe of like entertainment yeah. happening. It's not real, but it's like, it's not real in the sense that it's overly negative yeah. and outrage and There's real stories there. They're just like exaggerating how bad it is and yeah. not balancing it out with the positive stuff that's also happening in the world. Yeah. And then social media is falsely positive. Yeah. So we, we have a dearth of reality, <laughs> you know, like what's real? Well, I guess what's real. It's kind of boring. What's everyone's real daily lives like? Yeah. Eh, pretty boring. A little bit stressful. A little bit fun. Yeah. But like that's not engaging. Yeah. The news is never going to do a story on that. Mm-hmm. No one's ever going to post about like, hey, I like got up and I went to work and then I came home. Today. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did some laundry. That didn't make the news. It didn't. Yeah. It doesn't make the news or the social media. So yeah. And like. So we were talking about how humans are intensely social animals and we need to be connected to other human beings. But all this media process media is like fall. It's like fake connections. We're aware of other humans. And frankly, we're aware of way too many other humans. Our brains are not equipped with the concept of billions of humans. We're like 150, you know, small communities, tribes kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think like the global, you know, connectivity is good in some ways but terrible in other ways right like you'll you'll hear about some you know poor case of some kid on the other side of the world who has this tragic disease and you can't help but feel like empathy for that that poor soul but 
if this was like a hundred years ago, you would have no idea that that was existing. It's mm-hmm. super tragic and it's unfortunate, but you would be concerned with your tribe, your group of people. And when something bad happens, you could contribute and you could do something to like make it better. Whereas now we just hear about these tragic stories on the other side of the world and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. You can't problem solve. You can't make anything better. Like best case scenario, you can throw some money at a charity or something like that. But is that really making a difference? Who knows? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this global connectivity, it's, it's great, but it's also terrible in that we have to, you know, share the misery of everybody else, even though you don't even know who these people are. So it's like a double whammy of the stress because you get like the empathetic emotional stress mm-hmm. of being aware of someone else's suffering, but then also the stress of being powerless yeah. to do anything about it. So it's like, it, like you said, if, if that was a real person in your life, you would, you would feel like you could do something or help in some way you could contribute to lessening their suffering. So we have this like, this weird mm-hmm. awareness of too many people, but like not an actual real connection. So what, what we have is a whole lot of false connections to other human beings like and a, a lack of real life good solid relationships and community yeah there's that really great book the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah Mark Manson. which is yeah which is great and it, it's not like it sounds it's not about just like not caring about anything it's about you know picking and choosing the stuff that you're going to pour your energy into the mm-hmm. like worrying about the stuff that you can affect and the stuff that you can make a positive impact on and letting go of the stuff that you have no control over yeah which yeah, I think is like a great read. Yeah, it is a good book. It's like kind of funny and yeah. but very on point. I yeah. think it's a good book. Everyone should read it at some point. Yeah. So I, th- I think the analogy is like in the same way that we have people that are both overweight and undernourished mm-hmm. where they've consumed too many empty calories and not enough nutrients. We have the same thing with like our connections to other people. We have an overabundance of empty connections to other people through news media and social media and a, a lack of actual nutritious relationships, if you want to think of it like that. Right. And a lack of like real human connection. Yeah. I remember seeing some, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but over the last hundred years, what people will report as how many close friends do you have? And that number is sharply declining. Mm-hmm. And so people are just like really lacking good solid human relationships. Yeah. And I think that's such a huge part of our business, right? Where yeah. people, we have so many people where it's like they get together with people they met at, at the, the gym, gym. Yeah. on the weekends. And it's like, that becomes their friend circle, not even just in the gym, but like outside of it, you know? And, yeah. and I think that's, that's awesome. That's oh, such that's a so like cool. tremendous part of our business. Yeah. The community, find your tribe. Yep. And you know, you just kind of need a reason to gather. Mm-hmm. And if exercise is it, totally awesome. Yep. Two wins, right? Yep. You're doing something good for your body and you're, social community. Yeah. So then in our individual lives, we also have an overabundance of emotional stress, right? Oh, job, money, kids, like your time management. No one ever feels like they have enough time, school, whatever are the demands. There's a ton of emotional stress going on. So obviously we would like to work to reduce our total emotional stress. Never going to get to zero. No. But like there, we can be a little forgiving of ourselves. Maybe our kids don't need to be in five different activities. Yeah. And we're every minute we get home from work and home from school and we're like, here, you're like, eat this granola bar and get in the car. We got six different places to be tonight. It's like, yeah, maybe actually what we would all enjoy is like eating dinner together. Yeah. You know, and I think a few of us had that realization during the first lockdown of COVID when we were like, oh, like we got to eat dinner together five nights a week. And that was yeah. actually like really nice and really peaceful and maybe better for our human connections, you yeah. know, so maybe we can 
chill out from the rat race a little bit that like the cult of busyness mm-hmm. isn't all it's cracked up to be. We could I think a lot up a bit. I think a lot of parents like to keep their kids busy. So they're like doing something productive, but yeah. you can keep them busy by like interacting with them yourself and just having dinner together. And like, it's time off of the screens. It's time away from like media. It's just like time building those relationships and that, you know, connectivity. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but making physical activity part of, of your family activities. Yeah. Right. And that's like a big part of why in the next gen kids program, I only take the kids of the Brio members. Cause I want it to be something that, that people grow to do together. Yeah. And the plan is that as the kids age up and have all the skills and everything that they come to the regular classes with mom or dad, it's a thing you do together. Yeah. When you're on holidays in the summer and you're at the lake, you work out together. Yeah. I took a video of Atlas, who's 11, and my dad, who's 70, doing a workout in our garage together the other night, you know? It's just like a thing we do together as a family. So it doesn't have to be that you drive your kids to their sport and they do their activity separately while you sit in the bleachers and wait for them, Mm -hmm. that you can, again, the the two birds with one stone kind of thing. You guys can do some physical activity and like family bonding kind of time. Yeah. So modern world, too much process media, too much emotional stress. we got to work to like reduce our exposure to all of those things. Yeah. And then what we have a real dearth of is the adaptive positive types of stress. We have a comfort problem. Right. We have an excess of comfort. Yes. We exist in a perfectly climate controlled 71 degree environment at all times. And food is available every minute of the day. Yeah. And you never have to get off your butt for even a second to survive in the modern world. If you don't want to, you can have your groceries delivered and you can live in a house with no stairs and you can literally never move your muscles if yeah. you if you so cho- chose to. So the good types of stress, we now have to seek them out on purpose. Yeah. You have to invite them and purposely put them in your lives, which is weird. Yeah. So temperature, sauna, or hot tub or like any of those kinds of things. Super beneficial. Yeah. Exposing yourself to high heat initiates like heat shock proteins. It's things that upregulate like your growth hormone and it can help you repair from injuries and tons of benefits like cardiovascular wise to get a good sweat on. And it increases your heart rate, almost similar to doing like cardio exercise, just sitting in a sauna, super beneficial. Yeah. The opposite to that is the cold plunge. Yeah. That's like a big thing now. Yeah. I've seen a lot of ice tubs on social media. So cold exposure. Yeah. And again, both of those things, it's not your time in the thing, it's the time after the thing yeah. that makes you better. So it's not like you're only getting your two minutes of cold plunge is it. It's like that mm-hmm. the cold plunge is the stressful spot. And then it's the like hour afterwards where you're getting all the like benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And the benefit, if you want to geek out on that, is what's called mitochondrial biogenesis, the creation of more mitochondria. They're the powerhouse that generate um, cellular energy, ATP, in your fat cells. So it upregulate something called brown fat, Mm -hmm. which babies actually have a lot of brown fat gives off a lot of heat, keeps them warm because it's metabolically active. It's like literally burning a lot of fuel. Yeah. So cold exposure upregulates brown adipose tissue, BAT, they call it. Downregulates white, W-A-T, white adipose tissue. Literally makes you burn more calories, increases your body temperature, makes you like a, a more robust person, helps you manage your blood sugar, like all that definite positive benefits. But again, it happens, like you said. Yeah. After. Yeah. In the repairing, recovering from kind of phase. Yeah. Food being available every minute of the day. We have to, now it's called fasting. Yeah. It used to just be called, oops, there's no food. (laughs) (laughs) Like shit. (laughs) Um, So now we have to fast on purpose. Yeah. 
all different kinds of ways to do that. Tons of benefits from fasting. Mm. That's really become a thing that it's more awareness in like mainstream, I would say these days a little bit every day, shrinking your eating window to ideally like eight hours or less, 16 hours or more of fasting. Some people do alternate day, Mm -hmm. eat one day, don't eat the other day. Some people do a 24 hour fast every week. Yeah. Some people do a longer fast every quarter, three, four, five, or sometimes seven days every quarter, every year. Almost every major religion on earth has some kind of of ritualistic practice around fasting. Because I think all the way back to like ancient Greece, they recognized the health benefits of fasting. So we have to purposely (laughs) restrict food now because it's just everywhere all the time. Yeah. Physical activity, obviously. Yeah. We have to exercise on purpose now. With intensity. With intensity. Get a hormonal response. You have to drive to the gym to do fake survival (laughs) movements. Get into a flight or fight (laughs) scenario. Get into a fight with a barbell now and you I'm gonna fight these burpees on an echo bike. (laughs) So I mean, and we're preaching to the choir here with the people in our gym, but we recognize that most people don't exercise and that's what I think is so remarkable and why my favorite thing in the fourteen years we've been doing this is all the names that are on the thousand wad club wall is because like Man, people are doing the thing that most people can't do, which is stick to regular physical activity. And I just, I think that's so admirable and I'm so proud of everyone for that. And then just like general daily movement. Yeah. So you got to do the the fight or flight, the the high intensity stuff, but then you got to try not to sit on your butt too much either. For sure. Go for a walk. Yep. Get up, move around. Especially when you're feeling those moments of stress or anxiety Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Nice little... I think generally people need to like go for walks more. Yeah. Walk around. Be outside. Be outside. Get some sun. Get some sun. It's beautiful. And then problem solving. So the human brain loves solving problems. Yeah. If you're not able to solve problems, you will start to create problems (laughs) for yourself to solve. Yeah. You'll start to get into internet fights. You'll start to stress out about things that shouldn't be a concern. You know, you you get super uppity about some political thing or some like human rights group or whatever you just start to get crazy yeah so you need to problem solve yeah and it's not the like video game like solitaire kind of thing like that's fake problem solving you know it keeps you engaged it keeps you captivated but it's not really like enough but that's why so again like sort of processed media process problem Mm -hmm. solving fake versions of of trying to satisfy a real need is like yeah, you're not supposed to get hooked on Sudoku and yeah. Candy Crush and things, but it gives you a false sense of like accomplishing something or solving problems. But that's yeah. why it's so addictive is because you get a little hit of dopamine when you when you accomplish something or solve a problem. So yeah, yeah continuing to find ways to challenge yourself yeah. physically and mentally. So, you know, read some books, take a course, like Learn and play you love sports. doing projects, yeah. like building things and totally. of course it comes with the frustration of david will be up in the attic and run, 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 i can't find the whatever and this is working so in the moment it's like stressful and maybe it doesn't look so fun <laughs> but like it's satisfying and yeah. in the same way that like you sprinting on an echo bike in the moment you look like you're dying and anyone yeah. would go like why why are you doing that it doesn't look like you're having any fun yeah and then you're like ah oh, but in the end it really like yeah it triggers something in my brain that like yeah. it has to happen hobbies sports whatever it's going to be, just like challenge, challenge yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So in our modern world, we have to invite in challenges and discomfort yeah. to be able to adapt and grow and not be the tree in the biodome that just falls over. That's because right. Because we've never been exposed to the slightest mm-hmm. challenge. So it's basically <laughs> like your stress should be interval style, not yep. endurance style. It should be high intensity, short bouts 
of stress that you recover from and get stronger afterwards instead of the long, steady, chronic, chronic. stress where you never actually get any benefit from it. It only just sort of burdens you. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to limit our exposure to process media. We're trying to replace that with real human connection. We're trying to limit our chronic emotional stress as much as we can, but then have plans in place to to recover mm-hmm. from it when it, because of course it's going to happen. It's never going to get to zero, nor do you want it to get to no. zero, but you have a plan in place for how to deal with it. And then we invite in the adaptive hormetic type of stresses. So hot and cold exposure, fasting, physical activity, and some type of like learning and problem solving. Easy. Cool. Yeah. Stress 101. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. See you in the next one.